and welcome to the Working Parent podcast. This podcast season is designed to support working parents throughout lockdown and beyond. I'm Sharon Charlton Thompson, and I'm one of the co-founders of the Working Parent Company. You can find out more about us at theworkingparentcompany.co.uk or on LinkedIn. Just follow us as the Working Parent Company for daily updates and articles. Today's episode is about returning to our workplaces, and I'm delighted to be welcoming Dr. Harriet Short to talk to us about the office. Going back is just the beginning. Dr. Short is an associate professor at the University of West of England, and her research includes organisational space, artefacts, and the materiality of work. She is absolutely fascinating. She's led research projects with many industry figures and including the Environment Agency and consults on workplace changes with clients such as the NHS and the Affordable Art Fair. Does it get more diverse than that? She's a published author and an all-round very interesting person. So join us as we explore returning to the workplace post-COVID. I hope you enjoy. Okay, Harriet, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I really feel blessed to have you here. I'll just let listeners know, I mean, we met probably, I'm thinking it was three or four years ago, something like that. It was at the Gainsborough Hotel in Bath, which is my hometown. And it was, um, they were running a series of events called Phenomenal Women or something like that. Yeah, that was right, yeah. Were the speaker at that event and I remember being blown away because you were talking about the power of uniform and identity and how we assume a certain identity with uniform and how in that we sort of possibly lose contact with who we really are or or, all that kind of stuff and I remember sitting in the audience thinking you were absolutely fascinating and also really loving your hair. You had the most incredible beehive that night. <laughs> the type that I thought baby sparrows might be nesting in. Yes, yeah. I'm I'm well known I'm well known for a bit of a do. Um it partly <laughs> partly stems from my PhD based on um hairdressers and hairdressing work and salon work. I've made a lot of um, uh, my career has been based uh, quite quite extensively on writing about lo- the working lives of, of hairdressers and you know, hair salon spaces. So um, yeah, so I learnt a lot about hairdos <laughs> well, on my work. So yes, I'm known for a bit of a do. That's what grabbed my attention. I think <laughs> hairdo and your shoes. I remember your shoes as well. But also, I know. I mean, we've been chatting ever since, and I know you are really esteemed in your work and and have a passion and an academic interest and uh, work at University of West of England. Um, And a lot of your work is around organisational spaces. And that in of itself, I found fascinating. And I know as soon as I contacted you about uh, coming on the podcast and asked you for an idea of a title and we had our initial chat, your title, which is The Office Going Back is Just the Beginning, because we are thinking now about how, when, if, you know, all the stuff around returning to workplaces as and when that starts to happen, all the unknowns in that, both individually and collectively that come with that for people. But before we get into that, can, can you describe to listeners who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, well, th- well, thank you for having me um, on your podcast. Uh, so I guess um, my work falls into two areas. So um, as you said, I work at the University of the West of England. I'm an associate professor in a business school there. And I specialise in organisation studies. Um, oh. So the study of people and organisational life. And my research yeah, falls into two categories. One is the exploration of organisational space. So as you quite rightly said, I'm interested in um, kind of the lived experience of space at work. So I'm not an architect. I'm not a designer. um, I'm not in construction. um, I don't look at heat maps or anything like that. 
I look at um, people's everyday lives and their experiences of, of the aesthetics and the physical space that might impact them. Um, so I'm a sociologist by training. Um, so it's really the sociology of space. So thinking about organisational culture, power, gender, all sorts of dynamics that go on in organisations that we already know about, but looking at the role of space and place within that. Um, and when I talk about space and place, it also includes um, objects and things and stuff. So um, anything to do with the material world of work. Um, the other part of my research links to how I research that particular topic. Um, so I'm a visual researcher. So a lot of my work has also focused on the power um, of photography in organisational research. So rather than using traditional methods like focus groups or interviews in my research, um, I get people to take photographs. Um, so it's a very collaborative, um, participatory method. Um, so I don't take the photographs as a researcher, although that is a perfectly legitimate method in my field. Um, you sort of pass the camera over to your participants, people that you work with and you're interested in their lives, and you want to kind of see how they experience workspace through their eyes. Um, and again, these sorts of methods are rooted very much in anthropology and ethnography and the sociologists have been using these methods for a really long time. But the business and management community only really probably in the last 10, 15 years. Um, and, and I've tried to make a lot of my work about that and develop the capacity um, of building the capacity of visual methods um, in business and management. So, so yeah, so my research sort of um, covers space and photographs, essentially. Photographs, it is fascinating. And, you know, we will be going back at some stage in some way to workplaces. You know, everybody is saying how different that's going to be and how different life might be post lockdown and post COVID-19. So what do you think people will want to do when they get back to the office? Well, I've been thinking about this because like you say, you know, we've seen a lot of organisations what over the last, well, the last weekend, you know, from when we're talking now, um, it was all about getting back to the pub and having your hair done, um, which I can, I quite understand the hair done part anyway as a priority. Um, but I've been thinking about, you know, sort of mainly knowledge workers going back to work um, and particularly, obviously, working parents. Um, and as a working parent myself, reflecting on my own experiences. And there's something about, um, I mean, I guess the short answer to your question is the fact that I think people are going to need to talk. Yeah. Um, you know, we were all unceremoniously thrown into this situation with no preparation and it was this very sudden, very intense sort of experience. Um, and when people, I mean, it's, it's sort of like a trauma in a way, isn't it? It's, it's, it's sort of almost been like um, uh, some sort of sudden experience that, that has had a, um, a there, there's been some, I guess, certain joys that people have found in lockdown, but overall it's been quite a traumatic experience. Um, so when people go back to the office and I was sort of thinking, right, you know, you get the train, drive, you arrive at work, first day back, you know, you walk into the office, you know, the, the those corridor conversations that happen, I think, when people have been away for some time, you think about what, you, you know, you've had a two week holiday, you know, you've been on maternity leave, you know, you've had periods of time away from the office. Um, Immediately, people gather in, in corridors or at water coolers or at people's desks or what have you. And I think people need to, to almost talk it out. You know, there's a sense of um, wanting to reflect on the experience, to share stories, to consider, you know, how did you deal with it? You know, what we, and although we've seen each other maybe on social media and maybe we've seen each other on Zoom, it won't be quite the same and there won't be quite the same storytelling and story sharing. As, as there would be in the office and so I just think you know people people are going to need to share what has happened um, and with that in mind um, I think that's just something organizations need to acknowledge and be aware of it's almost like when we go back to work don't expect any work to actually happen like work work like productivity stuff you know we've all been obsessed with you know are people being as productive at home and what's the productivity rate it's a completely 
different experience. You know, you cannot look at this in normal through a normal lens. Um, so people's productivity has been different and we just need to appreciate that and hopefully organizations have have acknowledged it's not you know your hours work it's hours worked it's your you know the output of what you've been doing and there's been some sensitivity to that i would hope from from organizations and leadership teams um that needs to carry on when we go back into the office you know we need to acknowledge that people have been through this trauma they will need to talk to each other as some sort of cathartic reflective reflexive sort of experience for them um organizations to to suspend any expectations of instant activity is yes yeah just can we just have an opportunity to be understood and heard and seen you know post this yeah absolutely yeah and 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 it's sort of you know if i I was on a a leadership team of some kind i was thinking okay right we're, we're gathering momentum to go back literally step it through in your mind that how people might be arriving at work how they will be feeling i think it's particularly important to think about working parents in relation to what they've just been through and and the the mental individual mental shift that's that's going to happen going back to to work and um the boundary the, the boundary making that that individuals will have to go through you know that, that remember they're going to be sat in an office having just spent enormous amounts of time with their family enormous amounts of time with their children and and you know i'm sure everyone's had ups and downs in that sort of experience but we've been in this long enough for new patterns of behavior to appear and new rituals to be created in the home um and we get quite settled in those quite quickly i think and so we've got to suddenly readjust to then being back in the workplace and not having those things anymore and not having our families around us and i'm sure many of us will you know perhaps welcome um you know a, a, a silent office in some sense um but i think i think there's again that element of of understanding that you know working parents and and, and others will be readjusting in their minds as to what's going so you know let's say you know many people might be going back into the office around september time and when children go back and all that kind of thing you know we're going to be thinking about our children back at school we're going to be thinking about their safety we might be missing them we might be slightly relieved you know partners you know might be back at home furloughed or out of work and we're back in the you know there's all of this emotional social cultural stuff that's going on and um again to expect immediate productivity and to expect someone just to sit back down at their desk and engage in a team meeting is is not realistic and there's another form of labor going on in someone's mind because they're having to subjectively on their own create some boundaries right okay who am i now my sense of identity is associate professor or you know team leader or quality director or whatever it might be um you know that that person's going to be working really hard to kind of go right what moment am i in right now and what's my role whilst you know trying to create a, a, some sort of boundary to the personal life and the family life so there's going to be a lot going on um and i think when when we spoke um a couple of weeks ago you know we we were talking about the fact that when we go back to the office i, I guess this is where my, my title kind of came from it's it's going to be a process and it's going to be a transition and it's we're transitioning back into the office it's not a static event it's not it's not a thing that's just going to happen and it reminds me you know of of going back to work after paternity leave you know that that certainly from my research and and experience you know you're just okay you've had a massive life-changing event um right back to work and you know actually (laughs) yeah and there's you know in terms of transitioning you know there needs to be a transition You, you you can't suddenly um whatever the phrase was that someone said to me when I went back about um right you know welcome welcome to work as a parent you know you're expected to parent like you haven't got a job and work like you're not a parent and I was like great you know that's <laughs> deeply unhelpful so I think you know it, it's it's appreciating that this isn't just going to be oh look we're back in the office this is it there's going to be a it's a process and yeah don't expect people to um 
be be busying away and and just like we did at the beginning of lockdown you know don't don't expect the same productivity that we've had in in the past there's there's a lot of, of other stuff going on so important to see it as a process and mm. not as you say a sort of static event the other day i don't know if i'm going to be able to describe this um, on audio without showing it but I'll have a go because I thought I think this summed something up for me brilliantly the other day a colleague of mine um, if you hold out your hand and imagine you've got a stone in it mm-hmm. stone is all the rituals and the things that we've enjoyed in lockdown with our families like you say that have had time to build up we can turn our hand over and we can drop the stone mm-hmm. we can let the stone go or we can just open our palm and let the stone go Hmm. Is that going to make sense on audio? I don't know, but but you know we can. There are two ways of of dropping the stone. Yeah, completely drop it, and it hmm. leaves your hand, and hmm. you drop it, and it's still in your hand. Yeah, in your hand. And I thought for me that really summed up how this is going to be because we can't just drop the stone. We can't just. Kids no. have been used to having us around. You know, hmm. lots of people have been able to have supper for every evening with their children. Yeah school clubs and all the busyness of family life and um so we can't just drop the stone we've got to find a way of transitioning mm. a way that's in service of us as human beings mm. working parents and of our children and our families yeah i mean i i think you're absolutely right because it, it's um it, like you say there's, there's certain elements that have come out of this experience that we that we won't want to let go of I think and or, or that we we need to be mindful whether whether we want to let go because you know I mean like many people are talking about you know what are the learnings to come from this and you know post-covid world you know what can change from an individual right the way through to big corporates you know what what can actually what good can come from this um and I think you know when you read some of the literature about living in limbo um and you know living in sort of tension for some period of time, often after some sort of trauma or some sort of massive disruption, um, you know, it, it people it reshapes how people think about their lives. You know, it reshapes uh, your sense of identity, what's important to you. Um, maybe people have had time to reflect. I know lots of people have kept a journal through this period of time. I mean, even if people look at their own social media feeds, I mean, that's a sort of research in itself and that sort of data of your experience and if you sort of look back through that um, you know I was looking through my daughter's scrapbooks that we've kept for school work uh, the other day Um, you know there's me on a daily basis thinking I'm doing everything quite badly and you know sort of juggling full-time work and homeschooling and what have you start looking back even now when we're not really out of it yet um you suddenly realise how much you've done and and the you know the fun stuff and the cooking and this and that and it's been you think actually I did, I think I think I've done a pretty good job you know it, it's all right um, so I think it will shift people's um, the way they live their lives and and yeah so just dropping things actually I don't think is beneficial um, on a number of levels you know what we want from this what we're learning and what we want going forward might be a something that's different for people as well and it strikes me that um everybody's lockdown is so individual you know what what everybody's experiencing behind their own front door Mm. is very different and that's why i like your thought of our stories being so important because um you know one person's story is going to be quite different to, to the next and and uh those are going to be important to be heard Mm-hmm. You think what do you think might bring people together in back when we are back in the workplace you know in a socially distant sort of way well i mean i think uh, to your point it's that it's that sort of sto- subjective storytelling in a way um and as i said at the beginning um so i uh, as i say i use um photography in my research um and ask people to take photographs of their experiences of something um usually that is to do with with space and the materiality of of work um but i think in terms of sort of organizational life you know if there was something that i you know i thought could bring people together it would be uh organizations or leadership teams creating some sort of visual 
uh, representation of all those subjective experiences of lockdown and how people have coped. Um, obviously, there are things to think about in relation to, um, you know, and this is as a researcher speaking, things to think about in relation to anonymity, ethics, you know, ask, asking people to share images can be, can be a very personal thing for people. On the flip side of that, we live in an incredibly um, visual world. You know, our visual culture is part of daily life. You know, with any kind of social media platform that people engage in, you know, they're sharing images all day, every day about all sorts of experiences. And that's what really struck me sort of uh, quite early on into lockdown. And I started following, you know, as a visual researcher, following kind of hashtags on Instagram. I'm interested in Instagram as a as a visual tool in research to gather quite rich visual data you know you start following hashtags like hashtag working from home um, or hashtag homeschooling you know there's a huge amount of of sharing and and data really out there where and I'm sort of thinking you know could could organizations in some way set up some sort of exhibition of images if everyone was asked you know what I mean I think the B, I think BBC Breakfast did this a couple of days ago I'm sure it was you know your your one picture that sums up lockdown for you um or you just ask people you know two, two pictures that that um capture your experience of working from home i mean these these things would be a they'd be useful for people because of the talking reflective uh coming together part of that it's actually really good research from an organizational point of view because organizations then can see what working from home was like and actually that could be really great data if you're going to then think about setting people up to work from home more often um actually doing uh, some sort of intervention visual intervention like this might might be really beneficial but i think i think this could really bring people together and help with the i mean there'll be all the ad hoc storytelling story sharing like i said you know corridor conversations and meeting up whilst you're making a coffee but i think in terms of actually bringing an organization or a team together to have a conversation um, about people's feelings, emotions, and experiences of, of what we've just been through. Um, I think this could be a really sort of lovely collaborative way of doing it um, and, 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 would, and would provide um, an opportunity for people to, you know, particularly with methods like this, people can ask questions into other people's photographs and, you know, you get that sort of dialogue, which is actually can, can be quite powerful. And if you can get I can imagine it showing the stages of lockdown, you know, yeah. when yeah. adrenaline was quite high and um, we were all, and then the beautiful weather that we've had and yeah. what that looked like. And then on rainy days and on the days when, you know, we had one this weekend where I think it was the first day actually in lockdown where we all were quite low. Um, my kids, my husband and myself on the same day. That's the first time that's happened. Mm. Really, really tough day. It was a hard day. You know, the kids are getting bored, um, yeah. and we're all a bit fed up. And you know, summer holidays are cancelled. And you know, so, so there's there's been so many highs and lows. It's been yeah. it's been incredible, really, and continues to be. And I think it's quite. It would be. Um, I think. I mean, one of the things I do when I when I gather visual data about a particular topic on a uh, on a project. Um, really when it comes to analysing the images you want to be led by whoever took them you, you know you can't give meaning to someone else's image right you know they took that image it means something to them and it's really important to sort of ethically co commit to that voice um, but equally if you sort of stand back and look at many many images together on the same topic that's when you get to start you start to see patterns yeah. people have taken and like you said you know did the weather play a really important part? You know, is there a sudden, you know, does everyone bring in images that have, you know, of, of exercise and actually we suddenly realise that, you know, having time to exercise has been massively important for our mental health or, I don't know, but when you're, when you're sort of talking about it collectively, it might be nice to look for those patterns um, because that they're the kinds of things that can help you maybe uh, think about change. In the organisation, you know, you know what needs to be implemented. What's important to all our staff? What's everybody said is is really really key to them, you know. And 
and that that can help leadership teams certainly think about what's important for for working parents moving forward yeah yeah and i can see it being a really useful sort of um catalyst of conversation in in teams you know how has our team coped with this how has our team managed this and and some of the sort of um positive conversations that could spiral from that you know you could I mean, organisations could almost set this up before you come back and, you know, to, to sort of ask team members, you know, what are you going to miss about lockdown or what are you going to miss about home? And then that might actually help people think about coming back into the office. And, and, and I don't know, I don't particularly like the phrase, but, you know, sort of sense check your staff. Yes. You know, like where are they? What are they going to miss? What are they apprehensive about? Um, and that could give you some, some interesting, helpful signals coming back in. And the thing that so many people have missed, myself included, is those ad hoc conversations. Yeah. Is what Zoom has done in a way is it's made everything quite task focused. Mm, it's, it's a sort of um, yeah, okay, we're on. We've got to get the job yeah. done, and then we've got to get off. But yeah. it hasn't been as much relational. It's all felt quite transactional at times. That's mm. what hearing. I mean, yeah. conversations are going to be different. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think Zoom's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, because it's sort of, I mean, you're right, it's, it's scheduled. So the fact that it's scheduled means that you're sort of there for a reason. And um, yeah, and I guess with everyone's time pressures, and if you're homeschooling, and you've got to dash off and, and what have you, um, you know, you have got 45 minutes or an hour or what have you to, to get the job done and then go. Um, I mean, I think Zoom's done um i think it's it, i think there's some interesting things that have happened in relation to the visibility um aspect of zoom um massive benefits from from people i've talked to um whilst i've been i've been writing um a book chapter about sort of working from home um during covid19 um for a book that's that's coming out shortly um on a sort of post covid world um and when I was doing some research with my co-author about this, the, the visibility aspect has really strengthened some working relationships. Um, so sort of paradoxically, not being together has actually brought a lot of people much closer together um, because essentially you can see inside people's homes. You get to see, you just get to see stuff, right? You get to see their pets and where they sit and I mean there's some Twitter account that got set up some months ago called um, Room Rater I think it is um, where I, I think it's about celebrities so it's the because all the celebrities are on Zoom as well it's about you know people taking to social media and commenting on the backgrounds of where they are um, and it can be a bit harsh from what I've seen but um, but essentially in our sort of relationships from you know people I've spoken to they really love the fact that they've seen the the private lives of of their colleagues um and have seen real life like children interrupting is a pretty uh you know common one i think we've all been referring to particularly um was it was uh, dr claire wenham on bbc news who handled the whole thing spectacularly well when she was interrupted the other day by her little girl but I mean and she sort of was saying it was ironic because she just written a piece about how this sort of the visibility I think this or the collision of work and life coming together over this period of time might have actually done something positive for gender equality um so I mean there's lots of different debates around that about how women are going to come out worse COVID-19 versus this idea of actually yeah see my kids you know see see what's going on and this is this is how you know this is how it works right and and I think you know the performance of professionalism a bit like when I was talking at the Gainsborough you know this you know the performance of professionalism is often surrounded by something visual so the props that you use the clothes that you wear your hairstyle your shoes all that kind of thing say something about who you are that's often taken in the context of work and work is typically formal traditional you know our socially constructed idea of what professionalism looks like is quite solid in terms of being knowledge workers open it up and all of a sudden we're having meetings where people have got unmade beds behind them and there's a cat sitting on your shoulder and whatever else those power dynamics 
do shift and for a lot of people that's been really positive for a lot of people it hasn't because you've been somewhat forced into inviting people into your home which you might not otherwise have done and the home is a you know typically a private space where you know it's a sanctuary and people only come in you know you invite people into your home out of choice um and so this being visibly exposed on zoom hasn't been great for some people so there's been a sort of you know attention there but i think you know we are inherently sort of social beings really and so this idea of of um the the scheduled zoom chat um yeah you you can't you can't recreate what you get in the office and this is where it's sort of oh you know death of the office you know do we need offices well i'm not so sure you know whether it's the death of the office because i think we need somewhere to be and we need those ad hoc sort of you know accidental accidentally collide with people in um corridors and in the toilets and and i've written about this in some of my research so i've I've written about um, the importance of liminal spaces in the workplace. So liminal meaning in between sort of transitory spaces um, that have no kind of formal use uh, and or formal sort of identity. So, you know, a dominant space at work is like a staff room or um, a lecture theatre, you know, or a meeting room. You know, there are social norms attached to that space and you act accordingly liminal spaces kind of anything goes it's a bit of a free-for-all and if you start thinking about how much work actually gets done in the doorway of the meeting room just after the meeting (laughs) as opposed to in the meeting um you know that 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 corridor conversation that you have with someone on the way to the meeting before you get in the meeting actually is more useful than being in the meeting so so these liminal spaces, so these are like lifts, toilets, um, doorways, corridors, the water cooler, the photocopy, you know, these bits in between serve a really important function in um, ad hoc conversations, relationship building, um, creativity, inspiration, all those sorts of things. And that's, that can't, I, I, I don't see how that can be created um, online because like you said at the beginning you know these are scheduled so the conversations when we go back to the office I think you know I think we'll be I think we'll really value some of those um, conversations in in those liminal spaces um, somebody different in those spaces as well aren't we yeah absolutely we are different in those spaces and then when we walk into a boardroom or we walk into a meeting room according to in that meet, who's in that meeting mm. you know, we become something then don't we? we we become something you know obviously it's us but we've become something and in yeah. those spaces there's so much value in those relations mm. and collaboration yeah well it, it's i mean you know this is where space has such a role to play in um you know, the sense of identity that we construct at work and there, you know we have multiple identities in the, we have multiple identities full stop but certainly in the workplace they can shift and change and different identity labels that we might use um and 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 as you say you know go into a boardroom meeting go into a lecture theater or what have you you are bound by the social norms of that space to behave in a particular way again it's the the performance of professionalism in in a way um there's some lovely research on 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 hospital spaces with junior um, junior doctors and the difficulty they have in talking to senior members of staff or asking questions in terms of their learning. You know, it's really hard in the lecture theatre because no one wants to put their hand up and look stupid. It's really difficult in the staff room because you know the senior staff sit one end, junior staff are expected to sit the other. It's the corridors of the hospital that performs an important role in terms of organisational learning because the power dynamic changes because it's like a they've often been described as non-spaces. I don't think they are non because actually they have a really important function. But as a non-space that isn't owned by anyone, it's a corridor, right? It just gets you from A to B. That's why it's been built. But the social, the socio-cultural part of that space and the experience of that 
is is a sort of no man's land kind of anything goes then you can those power dynamics come right down and and actually having a conversation with somebody more senior in that space you know it's it's much easier essentially Um, and you can ask questions without the fear of sort of looking looking stupid um perhaps in lecture theatres so so yeah they perform a really important function it's interesting as i'm listening to you speak i'm thinking about that in relation to schools as well even now you know aged 53 if i go to a parents evening you know mm. go into the classroom and sit on those little chairs <laughs> the head teacher or something immediately that space holds meaning doesn't it because mm. it's old memories and yeah. you different yeah yeah and that and that's and that's something to kind of remember is that especially you know post covid like you say space is old memories and people will have memories they'll be dealing with the memories and perhaps loss of home spaces that they have perhaps enjoyed um and they will be going back to quite a different office space but they will have memories of something else and so people people will be trying to kind of process and readjust to that and so yeah it's really important to and and that's how powerful it is right you know that you have that feeling when you go into a school that you know you were a school child some years ago (laughs) many years ago yeah (laughs) yeah the other thing that really interests me is um you know the media and the news it it and what we're you know learning from schools going back actually (laughs) sounds as though our places of work um, are going to be pretty sterile in mm. service of safety so there's a lot we've talked about about two meters one meter socially distance what you know how we keep safe mm. um, and within that they're going to feel different mm. feel like we're going back to something different how do you think that will affect people or possibly could affect people well yeah, I think you're right because it struck me when I was uh, watching the news. It, it, it first struck me when I was watching the news about the schools going back, and I was struck by the um, I don't know what it's called, sort of um, danger tape. I don't know what it's caution tape. Caution tape. That's it. Caution. Uh, the the black and yellow striped tape, which now is everywhere. Now, we've, especially when we saw the news about um, hairdressers and pubs and what have you. Um, and I just thought it was so aggressive, you know, and, and there was a uh, somebody in a classroom with a, uh, a sort of a desk, presumably made for two students, making a big cross with the tape um, in one place so that it was quite clear to the student that that table was now for one. And I just thought, is there not another way of doing that? Like, I and, and, and you're absolutely right, the functional part of this public health and safety paramount um but we're going to go back to offices where yeah there's some sort of distancing situation that's going to go on um we've got a lot of screen we're seeing a lot of screens and dividers and and you know there's hand sanitizer everywhere and um i went into tk maxx over the weekend and you know you i sort of walk in and there's this sort of stand and there was all this sort of you know hand sanitizer in unlabeled bottles and and blue that that sort of blue paper towel and it just felt weird you know when you sort of are used to a different sort of um experience retail experience and I thought they're going to do that in offices and they're going to use this caution tape and that's fine to a certain extent and I am not an expert in working out uh how or how people would design that but what I, I do know is that the aesthetics of a space impact people in many different ways. And actually, a lot of the time, it's the minutiae that really does affect people. Um, the smallest things in, in the office can really make a difference to people. And so I'm, you know, I, I think it's going to affect people in terms of how they feel when they go in. And we need to be, again, it's a sort of a message to organisations and, and leadership teams. Think about the sensory experience as well as the functional one the functional one's got to happen fine but think about it in a sensory sort of way you know people will feel something when they walk into a space you know this is why we spend so much money on our homes we want to feel something you know retailers spend enormous amounts of money making us feel something you know they 
pipe smells through the air and they have music on and there's specific lighting you know we need to think about that a lot more in our workplaces to make them as well as safe but comfortable and welcoming because again as we talked about people are going to be managing and and negotiating all sorts of things in their minds and together so on top of this we're going in we're going to it's going to look different it might smell different because it's been sanitized within an inch of its life um you know touch is going to be different at work you know we won't be able to hug each other you know we won't we will be discouraged from touching you know as i was in tk max at the weekend it's sort of like don't browse sort of don't keep touching things just kind of know what you want and then leave you know and and there's the so all these sensory aspects are really important um and just to be mindful and thoughtful about the signs and symbols you know what what these tapes and these dividers what do they say to people um and how will they be experienced um and i, I was reading one of the workplace design magazines the other week and there was a lovely article about um, about the hand sanitizer sort of situation when you walk in, and actually in the workplace, could we not reframe that slightly rather than sort of okay, unlabeled hand sanitizer, blue paper towel? Um, you know, if you think about, uh, I, I think I think they mentioned rituals. So um, rituals uh, beauty brand. Anyone who's ever been into a ritual store uh, right across the world, um, you know, the, the kind of the ethos of the company is to create um, a, a, a beautiful ritual out of something every day. So washing hands, washing your face, that kind of thing. Um, but they create this beautiful kind of self-care experience. And in the article, they were saying, why not make that moment of walking into the office um, a bit of self-care you know why not make that a really lovely kind of um moment where we can clean our hands and it can smell nice or there can be some plants around it or i don't know there would be aesthetically lovely ways of handling that um i think done actually my <clears throat> my head's buzzing with you know i can just see a stand that would look so much more welcoming yeah and and say keep safe yeah. in a really friendly relational way yeah as say a subliminal message of danger which i think yeah. caution tape does yeah. yeah this is it because we'll be cautionary anyway we've, we've been cautionary about our children going back to school we've been very cautious about going to the shore lots of people um have been cautious about going back to the shops and 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 then starting up daily life again and and of course in the work this you know the workplace is the same um you know and i, I mean I've just written, I've just published a paper that's a sort of um, counter narrative to hot desking and clear desk policies, because actually from a lot of my research in all sorts of organisations, object, personal objects and artefacts and things and stuff are really, really important to people in relation to their well-being their sense of identity their sense of belonging perhaps their connection to work all sorts of things are at play memories you know are you talking about things like you know photo of your kids on the desk and uh... it, can, it can be i mean it can be anything from photos of your kids on your desk it can be a particular mug it can even be the micro micro stuff that is um uh i don't know a, a, a particular stain or a scuff mark at work so um you know when i've been working with with some of the hairdressers um in in london in some of my research the the dented desks that they work at the dented workstations so you know you if you think about a battered how battered uh, the corner of a workstation could get you know deep meaning in that for these people you know this is like that is evidence of my hard work that is evidence of how busy i am um, you know, scuff marks on floors where people have trodden it down and it's, it shows 25 years of, of treading that path in the workplace, you know, and, and I, this is where it's sort of a counter narrative to hang on a minute. I know we live in a, a sort of um, a world where we want to revamp and we want to make over 
and we want to spray clean and have these immaculate workplaces. And more often than not, that's actually for the benefit of our clients and people coming into our organisations rather than those that work there. Um, you know, before we do that, and I'm not saying don't, but recognise that there are memories and heritage and sen a sense of identity deeply rooted in a photograph, a mug, or even a scuff mark on the floor. So it's the real tiny stuff. And so going back to work, you know, I've, I've thought about, the, you know, there's a tension there with the safety sanitised versus welcoming, you know, feeling at home. Because again, we've been working at home for a long time. We would have created those rituals. We would have had our little ways of working. The amount of images I've seen on Instagram of people who clearly work in a hot desking, clear desk policy environment normally saying, oh, look, I've bought myself a plant. I've got a candle on. I've got this. I've got my music. You know, there's this real lovely um, sensory aesthetic coming through in their images and their, and their little posts. That's obviously important to people, you know. Um, and so going back to work, again just being mindful that those things are really important to people and I, you know i wonder whether it's not the death of the office but a death of hot desking hopefully about transitionary objects you know yeah, what, yeah. What will we take back into the workplace or what will we be able to take back into the workplace yeah yeah and again there, you know there's a question for leadership teams right you know if if you can take two things that, that um, you know if you're going to I, I don't know whether many organizations are thinking about people um you know, sitting at a particular desk, you know, like, like the children going back to school. I know my daughter's school, it was very much, you're like, this will be your desk with your pens and your stuff and your elite here and all that kind of thing. Well, if we're going to map that over, then could people potentially take a couple of things in that would be just important to them? It's just this tiny sense of well-being, connection that shouldn't really be overlooked. Oh, there's so much. It's fascinating. Uh, before I ask you the last question, which is mm. what I'm everybody on okay. the podcast I want to say a massive thank you and also you've mentioned a few things in our talk like the book that's going to be coming out and the papers etc so if people want to contact you Harriet or find out more how do they do that well I mean the best the best thing to do is, is email me so um I'm Harriet h-a-r-r-i-e-t dot short with two t's on the end s-h-o-r-t-t at ue u-w-e dot a-c dot u-k um i'm on instagram as dr harriet short twitter as at harriet short i'm on linkedin facebook um I, if you google me there's my blog um harrietshort.wordpress.com um so yeah just get in touch and um i'm happy to share any kind of readings recent research um yeah the, the i can send a link to the book uh once it's i think the book is out um at the end of the month um i i think the work I, they were sort of a working title uh because so the editor is professor martin parker um who is a professor at um bristol university in the business school there and he's um brought some of us um together academics and practitioners together to write a book about i think it's going to be called life after covid and we talk about all sorts of things tiny things um so myself and my co-author dr um, michael isaac at roehampton university we talk about the contested home space so basically working at home and then other chapters talk about the sort of bigger macro issues facing organizations in the future and it's it's brilliant because it's been written in a um accessible to all it's not um your sort of staid other academic work that you might find <laughs> uh, it's for everyone very accessible <laughs> okay so huge thanks truly for joining me today and you're, you're just fascinating i don't know if you know how fascinating you are you're just <laughs> thanks <laughs> Um, and the final question I'm going to ask you is, is what are you most hoping for in a post-lockdown world? Well, I think it's a really good question. And I think everybody should be asked this question at some point. Um, what a great piece of research that would be, getting everyone's answers to that or a photo of that. Um, I, I, I don't know whether it sounds really trite, but I just hope it's just a bit nicer and just a bit more human. For especially, I mean, you know, I'm talking here 
from an organisational perspective, you know, I'm here as somebody who who studies organisational life. Um, I really hope it's almost exposed leadership teams for how well they can or can't communicate during a crisis situation. And I hope that those organisations, and there are many out there who've dealt with this brilliantly, um, are commended for, for, for that. I hope others learn from that um, in terms of their expectations of staff and um, they've just, you know, really can consider the quality of our communications to each other. And that goes, yeah, from leadership teams right the way down to individuals. And I like the fact that people are asking about family life and how people are doing um, on emails now. I, you know, I think that's great. And I think people should be mindful of that. And, and Zoom has exposed the complexities and the everyday negotiations, particularly that working parents face. And I hope that's remembered um, and, and not forgotten because this is everyday life. You know, before COVID, we shouldn't be leaving our emotions and families and complex lives at the door anyway. We do take them to work and they should be acknowledged. Um, I hope COVID, the, the, the situation has kind of exposed it a little bit more and we can remember that we should just be a, a bit more considerate of our, of our colleagues and their complex lives. I hope for that too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Really great. And I uh, look forward to another chat soon. Yeah, lovely. I'd love to. Bye for now. Bye. In our next episode, we'll be joined by author and all-round strengths guru, Sally Bibb, also director of Engaging Minds, which is a strengths consultancy. And we're going to be exploring why our strengths matter so much at this time. Until then, and above all else, please stay well, stay connected and stay resourced. Thank you for listening.